Welcome to the third annual Main Quest Game of the Year's Celebration. And now, introducing your Master of Ceremonies, the host of the number one retro gaming podcast, Keith Gasper. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, incredible. Thank you. I am so excited you guys can make it here tonight. You all look incredible. Absolute, absolute stutters in the building tonight. You guys are, uh, you guys are too kind. You're too kind. Thank you. My name is Keith. And as always, uh, but specifically tonight, I will be your host. And we have made it. We did it, ladies and gentlemen. It's the end of 2022. There has never been a better time for video games. And I mean, look at you. Look, there's... There are so many nominees in the audience tonight. I see we've got all um, 100 augers. They're, they're all here. So it looks like they're going to have to look out for some uh, booby traps while the rest of us look out for our necks. <laughs> we've got uh, Sonic and Tails. I see Sonic and Tails over there. I'm guessing Knuckles couldn't leave Uganda. Heard he's got some uh, visa issues. There's a... Speaking of Sonic, I mean, there's something in the air tonight, but it looks like he kept his shoes on, so it's got to be testosterone. It's thick in the air, because I can see somebody somehow seated Jack Garland and Chris Chris Redfield a a little bit too close together. The night is going to be chaotic for sure. And then, of, of course, we've got all the bubble bath babes. They're all here. So it's, uh, yeah, this is definitely going to be a magical night. So what are we doing here tonight? <laughs> what is this episode all about? Well, it's about video games. It is a massive celebration that only happens once a year where myself and 10 other content creators pay tribute to the best and uh, the most uh disastrously gratifying gaming experiences that they had in the past year. The year of our Lord, of course, 2022. There are 10 categories, 10 presenters, each representing a category that was selected for them uh, months prior to this. And for the finale, we'll all be going through our top games of 2022, my top 10 Specifically, culminating in, of course, my number one pick. So just like last year, we will be hearing from everyone in between each selection to hear what their favorite game of 2022 is. But before we get into that, here is a breakdown of my year in gaming. So for each category, and of course for my top 10, I had 75 games to pick from. I did play and complete 75 games this year, which is the exact same number of games 
I played last year, which is surprising considering I only covered 27 or 28 games uh, this year for the podcast specifically versus like the 37 that I did last year. Speaking of which, the games I covered on the show are also going to be included here, but I always abide by one asinine rule in that if it's a game I either replay too often or I'm just really familiar with, it is not qualified to be on this list. So for instance, Earthbound is a game I completed this year, but it cannot be included in any category nor does it qualify for my top 10 list. This ceremony is strictly for games that I played for the first time in 2022. The game could be 30 years old, right? But as long as I played it this year for the first time, I'm counting it. An old game is always new to somebody. Now, when you hear Doom is included in a category, you're probably thinking, well, Keith, you surely you have played Doom before. Everybody's played Doom. But let me tell you, I haven't played the original Doom since like 95 or like the early 2000s at the latest. So it's been a very long time since I played Doom. And so therefore, I'm giving it a pass. Likewise, you know, any game previously up for nomination uh, in earlier years, they are also uh, subject to the same disqualification and uh, cannot win anything this year. So, you know, when you hear that Cadence of Hyrule is on this list, that was a top 10 game back in 2020, that can't win anything this year. Do my rules make sense? Probably not to you, uh, but it works for me. And uh, it also helps cut down the list a little bit when I, I'm, I'm considering nominees uh, for these different categories. A lot of thought goes into, you know, what games are going to make the cut here. So what games did I play this year? What are the potential nominees? Well, let's start off with The Gunk. Lizard Lady versus the Cats. Bloodborne. Spider-Man. Earthbound, which is disqualified. Bust a Move 99. Strangers of Paradise, colon, Final Fantasy Origins. Dark Souls. Tunic. Weird West. Doom. Wolfenstein 3D. Strife. Mega Man 5. Mega Man 11, Mega Man X, which is disqualified, Mega Man Zero, Cadence of Hyrule, which is disqualified, Castlevania Circle of the Moon, Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance, Castlevania Aria of Sorrow, Penguin Wars, Devil's Crush, Night Trap, Shredder's Revenge, Neon White, Elekhead, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Disc Room, Dragon Quest V, GoldenEye 007, Dead Space, Bubble Bath Babes, Winded Jammers 2, Final Fantasy V, Lunar Silver Star Story, Ape Escape, Stray, Spider-Man Miles Morales, 
Super Mario World, which is disqualified. House of the Dead, Cuphead, Signalis, Geometry Wars Evolved, Madden 22, CTR colon Crash Team Racing, Donut County, Pokemon Pinball, Pulse Man, Resident Evil 6, Resident Evil 7, Resident Evil 8 colon Village, Chippendale colon Rescue Rangers, Wizards and Warriors, Mickey Mouse Capade, Mylon's Secret Castle, Fester's Quest, Dragon's Valor, Disco Elysium, Kirby's Dreamland, Super Mario Land, Super Mario Land 2, colon, Six Golden Coins, Wario Land, colon, Super Mario Land 3, Metroid 2, colon, Return of Samus, The Legend of Zelda, colon, Link's Awakening, Pokemon Red and Blue, Altered Beast, X-Men, Ristar, Earthworm Jim, Haunting Starring Poltergeist, Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Kid Chameleon, and finally, Toe Jam and Earl. So the stage is set, ladies and gentlemen. Video games are here. They've arrived, and they're ready for the spotlight. And when we return, we'll go over the categories and the guests. So sit tight. We'll be right back. game of the year celebration now of course you all know i cannot do this thing alone again there are 10 categories 10 content creators so what do you say let's get this party started 
The first category of the night honors the hard work developers and specifically graphic designers and artists put in to make their games stand out graphically amongst the ordinary. The freshest game of the year is for a game that has a unique or one-of-a-kind graphical style. And here to pick their freshest game are a couple of gaming's thickest boys. Hey there, main quest listeners. How the fuck are you doing? It's been a while. How are you? You look cozy. Look good. Got some nice socks on. Yeah, those are so- no pants on. Delicious G-strings. Fuck you're a lovely bunch of people. Keith is very, very lucky, lucky podcaster to have you all listen to him. All tens. All tens. Fuck yes. Beautiful, beautiful audience. Speaking of beautiful people, we got a couple of beautiful thick boys here. Thick Myself boys. goobs. And we got Toby over there That's lurking great. in the corner. Lurking. Being the beautiful cuck that he is. Uh, well, it might be. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Well, depending on the season, and it is the season, right, Toby? It is the season to cuck. And we <laughs> are the Thick Boys from the Secret Levels Podcast. We are here to announce our favorite games of 2022, ones that we played on the show and or in our personal lives, because we like to do that as well. And so uh, I'll kick this off by a game that surprised me this year, and it could be uh, one for the freshest graphics on the Super Nintendo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we like to talk about some freshest graphics here. What do you got? So that could be your category. I'm going to go with Scooby-Doo. Hmm. Okay. It looked quite like the cartoon. Yeah. It was not the greatest gameplay, but it was a lot of fun. It, graphically it wise. It did look like the cartoon for sure. But this one graphically pleased me. So we want what some of the games that we play that you think would have the freshest graphics. Well, I could be a troll here since we did play Bubsy 3D this last year for our 150th episode. Honestly, we didn't play a lot of graphically great looking games. Like you said, Scooby-Doo looked good. Now, we did play Mortal Kombat 2 and, you know, everyone loves Mortal Kombat 2. We just didn't really play anything that I felt like stood out really, really far. So I'm going to go with a newer game. (laughs) which is a shame because I love my retro stuff. Uh, But this year I did get to play the new God of War Ragnarok. And I think that game looked great. It was. Okay, Mr. Game of the Year Awards. And the award goes to. (laughs) I mean, come on, come on. It's a great game. It was great. So. Toby Goobs, thank you guys so much. Those two games uh, couldn't have been more on the opposite spectrum of fresh. Hey, but they were fresh nonetheless. Of course, can't wait to hear from you guys later on in the show. Now, as for the main quest nominees for freshest game of the year, Tunic. Signalis, Pulseman, Cuphead, Disco Elysium, and the questy for freshest game 
goes to Cuphead. There's some really strong competition for this category, but I just cannot deny that Cuphead is the winner here for me. Um, when you consider how much work Studio MDHR and specifically the artists uh, Chad and Marja Molenauer put into making sure that the game actually works in regards to how it was created is fucking mind-blowing. I can't even fathom how all these hearts came together to create this game now if you're not familiar with cuphead uh it's basically a running gun uh shooting game uh also mixed with some uh typical shoot 'em up portions and replicates the look of the golden age of american cartoon animation so think of those incredibly early days of disney's like the 1930s uh disney cartoons Everything in the game is completely hand-drawn or painted, even to the smallest detail of the characters moving at 24 frames per second, which was the same amount of frames that those old cartoons would run at. Now, at first glance, when, when you're just looking at Cuphead, it doesn't look that remarkable. And I almost didn't think this would win for me, but the developer was just so completely all in on the style they bet on red and they robbed the house blind <laughs> they put all their chips in <laughs> so the next category represents uh i would say a lost art in gaming unless you're a collector uh you know this isn't going to be something you think about very often it's something that used to captivate the minds of children as they endlessly browse the aisles of their local video store and wonder, what the hell kind of game is this? It's the game with the best box art. Now, could you believe that I had to drive all the way to Grand Rapids, Michigan? Which, pretty long drive for me. It's like, what, five hours? Five or six hours? Lest I don't stop to piss. Which is why I always carry a piss jug in the car. <laughs> but I, di I digress. I had to cross the Great Lakes to find these next presenters. It's Ginger and Willie from the Grand Rapidians Play Video Games. Hello, Keith. Hello, Main Quest listeners. Hello. I'm Willie from Grand Rapidians Play Video Games. And I'm Ginger from the same podcast. And we're here to present our category this year is the best box art for a game that you played first time in 2022. I'll go first this time. Mine is Tunic. I really enjoyed this game, even though it was really hard, but the big like the box art with the cute little fox on it in like almost Zelda garb and um the cool like rune 
runic language too on the front of that that you'll understand a little more when you play it um is just really cute i love animals and the fox is so fucking adorable and tunic so that's my pick for best box art so my pick for the best box art today i'll start again with a couple honorable mentions uh elden ring the art for that it's great the guy like Holding the sword with the big like the symbol, box the background, art is just the, the art. symbol with yeah. the black um, background. So it's very, it's very clean and beautiful. It really is. Just as pretty as the game. But my winner for box art of the year goes to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Kawabunga Collection. Yeah. Not only does it good. have a cool cover with lots of different styles of Ninja Turtle art. Included in the game is high-resolution scans of all the box art nice. from the Ninja Turtle games included, oh, hell both yeah. U.S. and Japanese versions. That's pretty awesome. So there's all the Game Boy boxes, all the NES boxes, the Sega Genesis boxes, the Super Nintendo boxes, and it's got oh. all of this historical information that you can go and look at when you play the game. It's like, oh, what did the box look like for this? That's really cool. I like yeah. that in a collection. Um, more collections should do that, especially if they're compiling, you know, games throughout the years. It's really neat to see what they actually put inside of or like. Yeah, you get the instruction manuals, too. Yeah, because now they don't have that in games anymore. They just don't give you fucking shit. <laughs> And Ninja Turtle art is always fucking badass mm -hmm. because they're ninjas and they're turtles. Yeah, so what? Like, you got, how that game has can you so get? many, so much box art. Mm -hmm. That's cool box art. Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, that's my pick. Turtles Kawabunga Collection, best box art inside the game and outside the game. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thank you guys so much two great examples of modern box art one of which has multiple pieces of box art on it which kind of seems like cheating but hey it's your pick <laughs> but now it is on to the main quest nominees for the best box art of 2022 the nominees are doom wizards and warriors sonic the hedgehog 2 the gunk Toll Jam and Earl. And the Questy for best box art goes to Doom. I mean, it has to, right? Doom has to win this. I actually almost picked Sonic 2 because I think that's a pretty iconic cover in my opinion. But uh, yeah, man, I mean, there's just a lot going for Doom. 
just the if if you just look at the image composition, it's great. First of all, you're gonna notice the name of the game, and the design of the topography is phenomenal, all on its own. And if that's not the first thing you're seeing, if that's not the thing that you're looking at, your eye is just going to be naturally drawn to all the chaos at the bottom of the picture because it is all just very busy down there with all the demons and stuff. But then you start to notice some of them are jumping up towards something. And so then your eyes are drawn to the bright flash from the muzzles of the guns. And then you see the uh, bright green doom guy, right? There's also two things when I looked at this um, for this category that I just never noticed about before. And that's one, the demon in the bottom left corner is kind of like breaking the fourth wall and like looking at us, the, the player looking like, like, hey, can you uh, get rid of this guy? Can you believe this guy? Look at this guy. This guy? He's going to kill us? Man, I think we're going to get him. I don't think he can stop us. <laughs> and then... Two, there's another Doom guy in the background, like waving his arms around, like he's like, like he showed up late. <laughs> like I don't know, it's he looks like he missed his bus or something, and he like did it. He whatever. He looks so disappointed that the other Doom guy started slaughtering demons without him. And then it also like I thought there's only one character in the entire game. Like who the fuck is this other Doom character? Like, I don't, I don't know, whatever. I promised I wasn't going to rant too much on this episode. Uh, the artwork, it's like the colors of the artwork are also really good. It's mostly oranges and reds, but it really does make the Doom guy stand out more uh, because of the, the color choices that they used for him. It's just, uh, it's iconic amongst, it's iconic amongst other f- uh, four other iconic box, box arts, but I mean, Doom, again, undeniable. It's just that simple. Let's keep this celebration rolling with the next category. Throughout the year, I find myself picking up and playing games that I didn't even know existed or even really thought about. Uh, and even times tried to avoid playing until I was, I guess, I'm so basically I had to, or if I, like I was invited on another podcast. And unless that was the case, I was often left confused on how some of these ended up on the list. But I feel all the better for having played them. This category is dedicated to those types of games. The games I couldn't have even imagined playing that turned out to be really, really good. It is the Dark Horse of 2022. And, fittingly, to present this category are a couple guys I probably didn't even imagine I could uh, call friends. But here we are. It's Alex and Luke of Low 5 Gaming. Take it away, guys.
Yo, what up, everybody? This is Alex from Low Five Gaming, and I'm joined by my co-host and brother Luke. Pew, pew, hello. We are a video game podcast where we pick one game per month, book club style. Backlog book club, dog. Yeah, backlog book club. Sure. Yeah. So Keith also asked us to give our Dark Horse game of the year, a game that we played this year that we had no intention of playing, maybe even wanted to avoid because of whatever. And then we actually ended up playing and decided it was pretty rad. Why don't you start with this one? Kick us off, Dark Horse. I wouldn't say that I never wanted to play this game, but I definitely dragged my feet for as long as possible because I'm a dum-dum and I don't like puzzles because I'm stupid once again and I like to brute force my way through games. So it would be Portal 2. I mean, it's like it's weird to say it's a Dark Horse because it's an all-time classic. I didn't think I'd like a puzzle-based physics adventure, and I did. Loved it a lot. Wow. Um, I thought it had a ton of character. And I thought the level design was excellent, and I think that considering it's a game that came out a long time ago, you could release that tomorrow. And I'd be like, wow, this is a brilliant, innovative game. So the fact yeah, it's dude. as old as it is and it holds up as strong as it does is maybe it's not a traditional dark horse. Maybe it feels like a cheat. But once again, I, I don't love puzzles all that much. I love me like a Zelda puzzle that's like good for a child to a medium, <laughs> but definitely not a spicy. And I'd say the game gives you some some pretty spicy moments, but it's uh intuitive and uh it kind of holds your hand in a really nice way and guides you as you grow right and uh, it built me up into a way that i could do it and uh, i'm glad i played it it was dope 2022 dark horse portal 2 i'm curious because <laughs> all right a game man. you don't want to play you own them all uh-huh. so i don't remember exactly what month it dropped in 2022 but when it dropped there was a whole bunch of hype about this game it topped the steam charts people were just loving this little thing and for whatever reason dude i was like fuck it i don't want to play this like i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna look simulator? at it <laughs> nah one-handed mode <laughs> my dark horse is vampire survivor dude Oh, sure. uh, Vampire Survivors is a game that like I, I think that when people listen to this would be like, well, yeah, duh, that game is fucking dope. It is dope. And I'm just going to admit that. But for whatever reason, when it dropped, I didn't want to touch it. I was like, ah, screw the hype. I don't even want to mess with this game. I'm not even going to pay attention to it. And a couple months passed, and then I ended up getting an Xbox and Game Pass, and Vampire Survivors is on there. I was, and this game's like five bucks, dude. Like I don't know why I was being such a hater, <laughs> but uh, but you know, I had Game Pass, so I was like, well, let's uh, let's see what's up, and it just grabbed me, dude. Vampire Survivors is so good. people would call those games the McRib of video games. At least I can say at least I can say from experience one of those is quite possibly as addicting as the McRib. But anyway, now we move on to the Dark Horse nominees for the main quest. And uh, oh, wait, I've just... Mario just came over and handed me this card here. Wait a minute. It's, uh, I've got an update on these nominees. Uh, one of the nominees has actually been disqualified and replaced. Ooh, this, um, this could be a true dark horse indeed. Let's run down these nominees, shall we? And the nominees are Dragon Quest V, Neon White, 
Disc Room, Signalis, Devil's Crush. And the winner of the Dark Horse of 2022 goes to Dragon Quest V. Yes, uh, this was the one I switched out. Uh, a few days ago, I changed out the nominees for uh, this game uh, because Dragon Quest V was a true dark horse that I couldn't believe I didn't even include on this list when I <laughs> whittled it down to uh, these top five. Uh, I just completely overlooked this game somehow. Um, yeah, uh, I tried playing this game a long time ago. It was to be my first Dragon Quest game at the time, and I got a few hours into it, like two or three hours, and it just, um, it wasn't for me. Um, I think at that point I was like, man, I just don't know. I just don't know if I like Dragon Quest. I, I don't know if I like that style. But then I was called to be part of, part of a, a podcast and was to be on an episode about Dragon Quest V. So naturally, I dusted off my old fan-translated Super Famicom ROM, and I uh, dove right in. I don't want to give too much lip service to this game right now because, um, well, spoiler alert, I'll probably be talking about it a little bit later. Uh, but man, what a fucking gift, man. What a joy it was to play this game, um, especially for someone like me who isn't really that hot on the Dragon Quest series overall. Uh, so this was the truest of truest dark horses. I, I never saw this coming, and I'm happier for having played it. Before we get into the next category, we're going to take a break, and on the other side of that, there is a huge announcement that I have, as well as the categories for Best Animal, The Relationship Killer, and most disappointing game. Stick around. What's up, guys? I have to announce that Player vs. Podcast, Listener Request Month, is coming up. With April being the show's birth month, I can't think of a better way to celebrate than to let you guys request a game for me to cover. This is it. This is your chance to get me to play literally anything. Did I badmouth Metroid Dread? Well, stick it to me by making me play it. Want to hear me talk about Mega Man X way before its time comes on the show? You can do that. You want to make me completely miserable by making me play Bubsy 3D? I wouldn't recommend it, but you can. But before you start getting trigger happy, there are some rules to keep in mind here. One, you cannot submit a game I've already covered on the show. I know I've covered a lot, so please do your due diligence 
and double check the feed. You don't want your submission to get tossed out if it gets picked. With that, rule number two here, make sure you submit two games. This is not only to cover your butt in case I have covered one of the games that you submitted, but also ensures that one of your games gets picked in the event I do not own the game. Lastly, rule number three, do not go crazy with the 80 hour JRPGs or anything like that. I love long games just as much as the next person, but please be mindful of not only my time, but other listeners' ballots as well. The shorter the game, the more I can talk about that month. Ideally, I would like to cover three, so please try to keep your picks to no more than 20 hours. If you're not sure how long your game is, check your submissions on howlongtobeat.com. And finally, where do you send those submissions? You can email your picks to me at mainquestpod at gmail.com. You can also shoot me a DM on your social media platform of choice, the main quest on Instagram or underscore main quest on Twitter. The deadline to submit the games you want me to play is Friday, February 10th. That deadline again, Friday, February 10th. It's going to come up faster than you think. And of course, once again, send them into mainquestpod at gmail.com or slide right into those DMs on Instagram or Twitter. And of course, the point of all of this is to have fun. So good luck. And now on to the show. Welcome back to the third annual Main Quest Game of the Year celebration. Now, every year that I've done this, I have tried my hardest to not only make this the best episode of the year, but the best place to celebrate video games on the entire internet. And this could not be the biggest celebration on the internet without a never before seen world exclusive video game announcement. That's right. This is something I've been This is something I've been holding real close to the chest for months on end now, and I cannot wait for you guys to see this. It is my distinct honor to bring you this world exclusive.
Unbelievable. Un wow. Wow. Super Mario Brothers 5. Can you believe it? I... Oh. Miyamoto-san, Nintendo, and Doug Bowser, going back to their 2D roots with the unrelenting talent of Christopher Edward Pratt. Wow. I am... I am humbled, and I cannot wait to see what Tezuka has in store for us at the next Direct. I cannot wait to see more from this. Super Mario Brothers 5, ladies and gentlemen. But we've got more games to award, and more specifically... The best animal of 2022. Who's been the best boy or girl? Who's helped us on our adventures the most and kept us company while we endlessly solve puzzles and do fetch quests? Who is deserving of the most pets? To help kick this category off, it's none other than Chris Copeland and his very own pet dick dragon, Shane Kosky. Hi, everybody. It's Chris. That's me. And Shane from the Retro Hangover podcast. Hello. And we are going to give our pick for the best animal in a video game for 2022. So, Shane, Mm. what's your best animal? Oh, well, that is easy. I mean, there there are probably a lot of good choices out there. And I probably could have been more esoteric. But you know what? I'm... I'm just going with the dog that farts flowers from Vampire Survivors because I just feel like that's on brand for, well, I don't know, me, I guess, but probably collectively us. So uh I don't even really have a lot of rationale for that or justification because I don't think it needs it. It's it's a good boy that, that poops potpourri and also fights, well, I mean, everything but, but vampires. So, uh... So there you go. Best Did animal. You say poop. Poopery? Yeah. Poop. Yeah, exactly. No, we can't say that. That's 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 trademarked. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh well. Well, in my case, I, I had to sit down and really think about it because I couldn't recall. I didn't even remember the 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 flower pooping dog from Vampire Survivors. Uh so my initial thought was Rush, because I played Wily Wars mm. and uh but Rush is a robot. He's not a real animal. And then I thought Ninja Turtles, because they're turtles. But then I played a game and uh right at the end of the year, and I was like, this is technically an animal, and I don't think anyone else would choose it, and they are perfect. And that's Gizmo. So Gizmo from Gremlins 2 is my best animal nice. for the year. I like He's it. adorable. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's fuzzy, also dangerous.
Thank you guys. That those uh were some very fragrant picks. <laughs> and of course, we're going to hear more from them later when we get to the game of the year category. But for now, here are your main quest nominees for best animal. The cat from Stray. Spider-Man from Spider-Man colon Miles Morales. BK from Donut County. The Fox from Tunic. And Null from Lunar colon Silver Star Story. And the winner for Best Animal goes to... Null from Lunar colon Silver Star Story. is the best obviously aside from being extremely cute uh, throughout the game uh, the main character alex and the rest of the crew refer to him as a cat and Renal kind of knows that he's not a cat but also not quite sure what he is exactly uh which eventually you do find out but uh, i don't i don't want to spoil the game for you guys if it's something you're looking forward to playing um because on the whole this is an incredibly good JRPG, and uh, its mechanics and systems are quite accessible if you're looking uh, for a pretty uh, chill 90s JRPG. But even speaking to those commands, Null is a constant character in your party who you can either can either have him play a passive role in battles, or you can take control of him and issue commands. But most importantly, unless you're in entire party is wiped out he has no problem reviving your dead so this cute little guy you know probably perches right up onto your cold lifeless corpse and just little snuggles up to you burrows his little face into your neck and brings you back to life so with that you know plus the character arc that Nal goes through in his in his own personal story definitely makes him the best animal out of the bunch for me so everyone has their limits, right? Everyone comes with their own baggage. But just how much of that can you take before you break? This next category, which is sponsored by Lesser Metal, is all about the games in which our significant others, the love of our lives, would potentially leave us over. There's many ways to interpret the relationship killer. Not everyone is cut from the same cloth, right? So at this point, it is my distinct honor to introduce Josh from the Still Loading Podcast. Take it away, Josh. What's up, Main Quest Podcast listeners? My name is Josh Koval, and I'm the host of the Still Loading Podcast. And my category for the Main Quest uh, 2022 Game of the Year celebration, besides, of course, choosing my Game of the Year, is uh, Relationship Killer. Which game did I play this year that could have potentially ended my marriage, kicked me out of house and home? I would have lost my kid. What game was so fucking good? good that it 
could have done all of that. Well, I had to think on this. I really had to take some time and I really had to just whittle it down because unfortunately, as a father, uh, as a married man with a kid and also trying to run a podcast basically full time while also working a full time job because, you know, podcasts don't really make ends meet. I didn't get a whole lot of time to have any games that could have potentially ended my marriage or my uh, ability to parent effectively. But I would say the closest game, the closest game that I played this year that really could have given me a run for the money, you know, could have gone the distance. It could have just destroyed a 10 year relationship. Um, That game would be. Red Dead Redemption 2. I played a chunk of it in the beginning of the year in preparation for some episodes for actually early that came out earlier this year on my podcast. And I got sucked back into that game like nobody's business. There is so much. That game world is so immersive. The combat is super fun. The missions are really fun. The story is utterly fantastic so that is my relationship killer game of the year red dead redemption 2 This is Red Dead Redemption 2's second questie in the category of Relationship Killer. Congratulations to Red Dead Redemption 2! Wow! What? Can you believe it? Second Second year in a row. I believe uh, last year, this was Dave Jackson's pick also for, for the same category. So Dave and Josh, I hope you guys have a long, successful, and happy marriage <laughs> with each other because clearly your wives are leaving you. But what game is my girlfriend leaving me over? And the main quest nominees for the relationship killer are Resident Evil 8, Bubble Bath Babes, Night Trap, Strangers of Paradise, colon, Final Fantasy Origins, Fester's Quest, and the questie for relationship killer of 2022 is Resident Evil 8. This is Resident Evil 8's second questie in the category of Relationship Killer. Absolutely stunning. Stunning! This is crazy. Two games in the same category, winning two consecutive years in a row. Yeah, as for Resident Evil 8 or village or whatever you want to call it. Hey, that debate that could end a relationship on its own. Uh, all I can say is that this was my brother's pick last year for relationship killer. So all I have to say is that, uh, the Gasper men have the same taste in women. (laughs) 
a little behind the scenes. I actually, when I was putting this together, consulted my girlfriend on this one, and she kind of seemed a little torn. I think, you know, a good runner up would be Bubble Bath Babes. I think that's what she initially said. But I think the way, you know, when I think about the way I've talked about Lady D on the podcast and the way I seem to continue to speak on her and or post photos of her (laughs) when I uh, uh, put stuff about Resident Evil 8 on social media, I think that would be enough for Kayla to pack it the fuck up and leave. So, yeah, I don't think I'll be playing Village again anytime soon. Uh you know, because I might never leave that castle. <laughs> so, yeah, Resident Evil 8 for the relationship killer here. <sighs> There's nothing like that feeling when a new game you've been waiting for finally drops. Or when one goes on sale that you've desperately been wanting to play. You wait for the weekend to cozy up on the couch, to immerse yourself, or perhaps you just go all the way and take off at of work. Only after about eight to ten hours in and you, and you say to yourself oh no i don't like this this is dedicated to that feeling it's the most disappointing game of 2022 and honestly there's not a better podcaster i could ask to kick this one off than phil of deleted saves Disappointment, the bitter cocktail we all must drink. I'm Phil from Deleted Saves, and my 2022 most disappointing game of the year is Vampire. Against my better judgment, I had extremely high hopes for this game when I started. In a world with Legacy of Cain franchise as currently as Stone Dead as its hideous namesake, and anything Vampire the Masquerade related has reached its final evolution of what happens when the douchebags win at RPGs. Don't Nod Entertainment's Vampire looked like a winner. The game plays out like a cross between Bloodborne and Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Two great tastes you would think would taste great together. And is set in 1918 London, in the dying days of World War I, in the midst of the Spanish flu. You play a doctor coming home from the front, only to be killed on the London docks and raised as a vampire. The problems start when you are exploring the same ten square miles of London over and over with no quick travel options. Fight the same four vampire hunter types over and over. Fight the same three vampire types over and over. Watch the same four districts get sick after you heal everyone there over and over. But lately I feel like I'm just going to rain and it goes over and over and over again. Um, wait, scratch that last bit. Anyway, there are good things to love here, but I have a lot of mixed feelings about this game. And I think I will have mixed feelings for some time. Vampire, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Phil. And I have to say, I'm sorry, Vampire. 
did that to you, man. I, you didn't deserve that. You deserve better. Vampire should have been better. Not you. It's not you. It's the game. But what game disappointed me the most this year? Here are the main quest nominees for most disappointing game. Stray. Tunic. Disco Elysium. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Resident Evil 6. And the questie goes to... Tunic. With Tunic being a brand new game, literally came out a few months ago, I I wish I could go into specifics on why this game disappointed me so much. I'm going to keep it as concise and vague as I possibly can. So I first heard about Tunic uh, back in like 2017. There were some screenshots and, and videos floating around from a GDC event or something, and I love the idea of going back to this 2D, uh, top-down, isometric, dungeon-crawling, Zelda-style game with a cute fox as, as the main character. But every year, it would get a release date, and every year it would get pushed back. And needless to say, I wasn't really holding my breath anymore, but I was still in love with the idea of getting to play this thing. And then Death's Door came out last year. And that kind of scratched that itch that I had on multiple levels, but it just got me actually even a little more worked up over the possibility of what Tunic could be. Maybe it could just be like Death's Door, and I would be okay with that. Or maybe it could be better. It certainly couldn't be worse after how many times that they, they had delayed this game. And after it came out, and I did fall in love with it. I did. The exploration, the puzzles that are within puzzles, the fact that the exploration I just spoke about is a puzzle in of itself. The combat, eh, eh, it's whatever. It's okay. Serviceable. Figuring out how this game plays is what the game is all about. It's an incredibly unique and clever game until it's not. About three quarters in, the game just really pulls the plug on you, especially if you've been neck deep in the exploration and, and the puzzle aspects of the game for a majority of the runtime, you know, uh, seven or eight hours. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to leave it at that. By the end of the game, I, I fell flattened. I, I felt like Andrew Schultz was punishing me for playing his game instead of actually challenging me. Which, yeah, the end of the game is a challenge, but it, it ends up being that way no matter how you play it. The game is not as open-ended as you may think it will be playing it up to that point. I, I kind of want to say, you know, I finished the game out of spite, especially since I knew I was so close. I, I felt like the game was about to wrap up. Uh, the malice I had for this thing towards the end was thick. So I was somewhat, it, it was some, uh, it was somewhat cathartic 
that I now know I never have to play it again since I saw it through. But there are times where I do think about going back to it just to finish up some of the puzzles, try to figure those out. But then again, probably not. I don't know. Tunic was incredibly disappointing. It is my most disappointing game of 2022. Before we take our next break, I'd like to go through one of the unofficial categories of the show. And that's the maybe next time category. (laughs) This is a category uh, that I only partake in as a type of promise to myself to get through some games on my backlog or to uh, play games that I know I'm going to get that I'm highly anticipating, which uh, ironically, (laughs) Tunic was on this very list last year. Uh, Speaking of which, what was on that list last year? How many did I actually get through? I had 10 games on the maybe next time list. And of those 10 games, I finished six. And those games are Spider-Man, Spider-Man colon Miles Morales, Disco Elysium, which I actually got to play thanks to uh, multiple listeners who requested it uh, for the listener request month, Death Stranding, The Gunk, and Tunic, which of course, how naive could I be? The other games that I did not get to were Terranigma, Jet the Far Shore, and Silksong, because Silksong was not released this year. These are the games that I am hoping I get the chance to play and wipe the slate clean. Inscription, River City Girls, Terranigma, Vampire Survivors, Alan Wake, Hitman, Sea of Stars, Sonic Advance, and Mina the Hollower. So from the previous list, I'm going to drop Jet the Far Shore. My interest for that game has kind of just waned over the past few months. Uh, so into the void of the backlog, that goes. Inscription and Terranigma are up there. Uh, those might be the first games I, I play here. And of course, Silk Song, uh, I have no hope for that releasing this year. I'm starting to think that game just doesn't even exist. With that, uh, let's take another break. And when we get back, we'll get through the last four categories here, which are Most Surprising Game, Worst Game to Donate to a Nursing Home, Best Soundtrack, and Worst Game. Coming right up after this. We'll be 
Welcome back to the biggest celebration in video games. And you know what? Fuck it. Hey, welcome back to the number one game of the year episode. We're coming down to the last four categories here before uh, we get into the game of the year list. So let's just race to the finish line here. On the opposite side of disappointment, you've got satisfaction, elation. You get something that surprises you. Most surprising game is for games we left, well, absolutely surprised by, which, under a vague umbrella, doesn't necessarily mean it can always be good. Certainly, we could come away with surprised by, surprised by how awful uh, a, a game was, but I'd like to think that when I'm generally surprised by something, that it's uh, more on the positive end of things. But... Let's see how our next presenter interprets this category. It is, of course, one of my closest buddies here, Eric from The Unlockables. What's up, everyone? Eric here from The Unlockables, coming to you live from the red carpet of the Main Quest Awards, conveniently located at the Main Quest Theater, which just so happens to be in the middle of Keith's living room. Smells like lilac. Anyways, Keith asked me to come on the show to present my award, which is the most surprising game of 2022. And for the category of most surprising game of 2022, I've chosen to give the award to none other than Vampire Survivors. Listen, there are a lot of great games out there this year and a lot of great games that definitely did surprise me, but none other than Vampire Survivors, which costs a grand total of $1,200 to make. At first, when you fire up Vampire Survivors and take a look at it, it looks like a Castlevania texture pack somebody just downloaded for Unity. But the game is incredibly addicting, despite the fact that the only thing you do is walk and legions of the undead die around you. If you haven't heard the news about Vampire Survivors, go and check it out. I think you'll be just as surprised as I was. This is Vampire Survivors' second custody of the night. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. This is another win for Vampire Survivors, everybody. Definitely sounds like a game I should have played earlier this year, but, uh, you know, I'm sure enough people will probably vouch for the way I might feel about this game. So, uh, again, hey, Eric, thank you for that presentation. We'll hear from you in a little bit. And the main quest nominees for most surprising game of 2022 are Metroid 2, colon, Return of Samus, Ristar, Wizards and Warriors, Strangers of Paradise, colon, Final Fantasy Origins, Strife, and the quest goes to Ristar. There's a lot of great games on here that, 
that could have won this award here. Uh, but I stated as much on my episode for Ristar how much I, I wasn't looking forward to playing this game. I was, you know, looking up screenshots and gameplay and stuff like that, reading development history, and uh, I just had completely written this thing off as just it's going to be another early 90s mascot platformer that also happened to be created by Sonic Team, and I just didn't want really anything to do with this game. And then I played it. It just went well beyond my expectations and uh, and more. Just the art direction of the game is so vibrant and, and full of life. I I kind of feel like I robbed it from being one of the the uh, freshest games, but I mean, um, hey, competition it, it's tough out there. Uh, you know, the swinging mechanics in this game uh, and the level designs are married so well they just go hand in hand uh, no pun intended uh the boss fights are pretty creative uh with those mechanics in mind uh speaking of bosses probably one of the best final bosses that i've had the honor of killing this year which hey final bosses next year could be a category who knows uh man ristar is a jam there, there's really nothing quite like it out there nor, nor really was there for for its time. Um, yeah, if you if you want to hear me gush about this game, uh, just scroll back a few episodes and uh, listen to that one. Uh, it's it's definitely my most surprising game for sure. And so here we are. This is a very special category here. Every year I hold a poll, asking you guys, the main quest diehards, the listeners for an unconventional category to add to the show. This year, Mikey Tabletop from the Big Drink Energy Podcast won and brought to us a a category whose name I couldn't really spin in any direction, and so I just kept it to (laughs) Worst Game to Donate to a Nursing Home of 2022. What does this category imply? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Luckily, I have some uh, incredibly intuitive presenters presenting this category. It is the boys of Pixel Project Radio. Give a hand to Rick and Ben. My name is Rick Firestone. My name is Ben Bugale. But more importantly, we're here to pick a game for Keith's podcast, and that is the best slash worst game to donate to a nursing home. I I want you to go first for this one. I want to know so badly. I, I have an idea. I want to see. I want to see if you're with me on this. Okay, I'm ready. Game. Uh, as, and speaking of games that we've played this year, this is one that we've played this year because the first place that my mind went to was something like Waifu Discovered Two, which is a game that Keith loves. But then I was like, you know, nursing homes are rampant with STDs. Like they're they're randy up there. I mean, a lot of them are. Like, look at the villages in Florida. Like, I mean, it's not a nursing home, but it's a community of retirees. You can't stop them. So here's the Mm-mm. thing. So that's too easy. Here's my proposal. PT. 
back because <laughs> one no. spook too one spook too far and they're done. You know, <laughs> they, they can't handle it. It would be a really intense merry-go-round from hell, wouldn't it? I think PT is a great idea. I personally, I'm so sorry. I would love to put hand simulator in front of them. It was like the QWER game where you had to make the man run. Yeah, okay, that's it. Quap. Um, this is worse than that. And it involves a number of scenarios in which you need to manipulate a hand involving shooting people and like grenades and other like random things. So the fact that like normal people struggle with this game, like playing it and manipulating the hands and also the chaos of it, I would just love to see the amount of frustration and the amount of accidental, hopefully only in the gaming world, death. (laughs) All right. You heard it here. Main quest audience, Hand Simulator and PT. These are the games that you don't want to give to a nursing home. honest I, I i don't even want pt donated to my home uh you can get that fucking cursed game the hell out of here and hand simulator that definitely sounds like a game only the steam store could love uh so with that uh the main quest nominees for worst game to donate to a nursing home are dark souls Sonic the Hedgehog, Dead Space, Bloodborne, Night Trap, and the quest he goes to, Bloodborne. no real thought process on this honestly you know i think within the first few minutes of playing this game uh the elderly would probably be completely mortified there's there's just no way with their old decrepit scoliosis ass knuckles and fingers that they would have the dexterity to even parry correctly uh it's just um scoliosis osteoporosis is that the i think i meant osteoporosis what i hey i don't have to worry about that stuff quite yet um yeah it's just uh it's just not a game you would want Mima or pop pop to witness before their existence is wiped from this plane uh it's just too much dread so uh yeah uh bloodborne <laughs> if you are new to the show you might be surprised to hear that my favorite aspect of any game is usually the soundtrack not a lot of people go into a game wondering what kind of music they're they're about to hear usually people are just foaming at the mouth for a good story or just want to veg out on the couch 
turn their brains off and play a video game. I, however, think way too much about the best soundtrack category. As silly as these categories are, I do actually give a lot of thought to which games I think fits best and put in a ton of consideration for which one wins. Think of that as you will. It's probably pretty sad. But (laughs) best soundtrack, listen, I don't mess around. Even the worst game can be made just a little more tolerable with the right person behind the baton or the uh, MIDI keyboard. Uh, So I won't take up an hour of your time gushing about the music this year. So let's get to the presenters here. The sun may be setting for Listoff, but I'm not going to let them off that easily. (laughs) To kick off Best Soundtrack of 2022, it is, of course, my two number ones. Hey, they're... There are number ones on all our lists, right? Ryan and Brian. Brian, can you believe it? We're here. Tonight's the night. I see you brought your your best tuxedo. I did. I am ready ready for everything in these awards. Yeah, Game of the Year 2022. Jeff Keeley be damned. Uh, <laughs> we are blessed with being asked to present for the category of best soundtrack, Brian. I'm very excited. You know me and my musical genes. I do. I do. I want to get in those musical genes. So why don't you tell me uh, your pick first? Because I think you probably have a better one than I do. Oh, no. <laughs> That's all right. It's all right. <laughs> all right. Well, my pick for the best soundtrack of 2022, and I can't choose Banjo-Kazooie, right? If it's a game you played in 2022, which I know it's not. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> well, then I will go ahead and give it to God of War Ragnarok because it follows pretty much the same types of themes that the first game did. And I really loved that one. And they just like amp it up on lots of the different tracks here. Uh, even the first track is just like it goes nuts with some of the, the different themes and, and layering on top of each other, which I always really like that in, in different scores and soundtracks. Oh, very good. I think that yeah. stands for something. I like Bear McCreary, but you got me, you got me all dressed up for that. Come on, man. You got to surprise them. Keep them on their toes. Yeah. Uh, so for that reason, my best soundtrack of 2022 is Sifu. Uh, I think it, it has this wonderful mix of traditional music and modern day techno vibes. It's awesome throughout. It's very immersive and fits the game perfectly. I really wish this game was nominated for more awards at the actual Game Awards, so I have to make sure it gets its shine here. Uh, definitely enjoy the Sifu soundtrack, and it's a game I highly recommend everybody go play.
thank you. Thank you, guys. And hey, as Brian and Ryan always say, good picks. <laughs> uh, Ragnarok, uh, you know, I've I've heard things about Ragnarok, and it has had a lot of praise for its soundtrack. Sifu, definitely not a game I would have thought had a distinct soundtrack. Then again, I did bounce off that game. But what soundtracks did I check out? Here are the main quest nominees for best soundtrack. Sonic the Hedgehog 2. The Legend of Zelda, colon, Link's Awakening. Mega Man 5. Final Fantasy 5. Lunar, colon, Silver Star Story. And the winner is... Sonic the Hedgehog 2. What a shot. What an upset. Not even Nobuo Uematsu could could cut through Sonic the Hedgehog. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this was a tight, hot, tight, tight competition. Uh, I I don't want to take up too much time, but Sonic 2 soundtrack, it's like Doom in a way. Like it's just undeniable. I would go as far as saying it's iconic. Is Emerald Hill as iconic as Green Hills? Nah, but it's still really good. Uh, Probably the weakest track in the game, honestly, but that's not really saying a lot. Chemical Plant Zone, fucking banger. Casino Night Zone, so much fun. Another banger. Mystic Cave, uh, that fucking song sounds like something... ICP would have sampled off of like the Great Malenko or something all the way up to, uh, you know, Death Egg Zone, which has like this unsettling outer space eeriness to it while you're fighting like uh, Metal Sonic or that uh, giant Robotnik mech. It's just so it's so damn good. There's not a lot of Sega Genesis soundtracks that sound like this or even really, <laughs> really good at all. It's just... uh it's just an incredibly great batch of songs that that don't overstay their welcome or even ask a lot from you. They're quick and to the point, very punchy pop songs. And finally, as we wind these categories down here, it is finally the hot button category the sickos have all been waiting for. <laughs> Settle down, Sonic. I know you just won something, but you're in the hot seat now, buddy. It is the worst game of 2022. There are games I play for the show, and oftentimes uh, games that I have to play for other podcasts that aren't terrible, but there's something about them that could just rub me the wrong way, right? But these five games in particular, these are garbage. These are some of the lowest points in gaming in which they should just probably be forgotten. These are games that made me wonder... If the hobby is even worth it at all. And yet here I am. And now that I've doused this theater in kerosene, Chase from the PlayCube Gamecast holds that match. Burn it down, Chase.
Hi, I'm Chase, host of the PlayCube Gamecast, and I've been asked to do the worst games of the year alongside the best, and for the longest time this year, there really wasn't anything I considered the worst. Until this one game popped exclusively on a Switch eShop, and I felt inclined to pick it up. Like that was a day one purchase. I wasn't sure about this game. It's made by a company that's known for making not exactly the highest quality of games. But for the price I paid, I expected a bit more than early PS2 graphics and, you know, actual voice actors. And sure, there's an okay game loop, and it introduces an open world despite its questionable setting, and it offers a food-based currency to open the world more. But the way the character moves around and how repetitive the music can get, you're really better playing this in short 5-minute span. Anything longer than 20 minutes is pure torture. That's not included the fact that if you can play this on handheld mode only. Why? Because the menu is only usable on the touchscreen. No moving your cursor around with your controller. You're screwed. You can't play this on TV. That's why for the worst games of 2022, it is literally... Prison Life Simulator 2022. Admire your courage when it comes to these eShop uh, gems. <laughs> these are true hidden gems. Uh, it, but it just it it sounds like you really uh, dropped the soap on that one. <laughs> Thank you, Chase. We're gonna hear more from you uh, in just a moment. As for the main quest nominees for Worst Game of 2022, Earthworm Jim, Wolfenstein 3D, Night Trap, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Fester's Quest, and the winner, or loser, loser? <laughs> for Worst Game goes to Earthworm Jim. This was another very, very tough category to parse out. I actually didn't have a winner uh, until like just a few hours before recording this. These are all very bad games for different reasons. Night Trap, uh, I feel a little bad, but it's the least offensive on this list. Earthworm Jim, though. I mean, I, I did an entire episode on it. <laughs> I spent way more time talking about that game than, than it deserves. Uh what a miserable experience playing that game is. Uh, there's 
no coherent level design for the first couple of stages. The game doesn't teach you anything about playing it. It it, it introduces mechanics. It, it, fuck that. It doesn't introduce anything. Saying this game introduces anything gives the illusion that it decisively signposts what you need to do in certain instances when it vehemently does not. But for lack of understanding, it quote-unquote introduces mechanics that are used once in a very specific manner that are never, ever brought up again. And yes, of course, sure, I'm a retro gamer. I can handle some bullshit difficulty from time to time. But this game is too old for that, or, well, too modern for that, for that matter. It's the mid-90s. So many developers have distanced themselves from that in favor of, like, you know, the people enjoying their video games. There's nothing enjoyable about Earthworm Jim. It doesn't even have a good soundtrack. And the voice samples are fucking... One of the most annoying things I've ever heard come out of my, come out of my speakers. The humor in this game is the definition of a time capsule. It encapsulates everything that was wrong with the 90s, and what really put this game in this category over the others is when I learned about that knuckle-dragging bigot who made and created the franchise, which I'm not even going to give him the recognition by naming him here. Fuck Earthworm Jim. And now that I've gotten that all out of my system, yeah, it's, it's an easy pick for me. It's easily the worst game I played in 2022. With that said, it's incredibly hot in here. So we're we're going to get the fire marshal in here. And in the meantime, let's take a break and we'll get into the top 10 games of 2022. And of course, crown the game of the year. I am now loading a claims revolt. I will soon experience complete oneness with an interconnected global community of game warriors. I can feel the energy flowing through the high-speed ethernet cables. Dude, who are you talking to? Are, are we gonna play or what? Patience, Grasshopper. One must learn before one can dominate. Forget that, let's play! Are you ready, Grasshopper? I was born ready. My name is Chuck, you cool, dumb master. You see, we're already signed up. It was way easy, just took a couple of minutes and we're good to go. Once you've signed up, you never have to do it again. Plus, you get to pick your gamer tag, you know, your online identity. Mine's a dark master. I play every game as Dark Master, and uh, people are starting to recognize who I am. Oh no, not Dark Blister. Yep, I'm getting kind of a reputation for my superior skills. (laughs) Anyway, this is the matchmaking screen. You can choose Quick Match, which will hook you up with any available gamer, or you can be more selective and use Optimatch. 
I'll match them to find the right game at your level or style. Or you can host a match where you set all the criteria. For your first race, <clears throat> let's just jump in and do a quick match. Hit it, Grasshopper. My name is Chuck. Okay. Chuck. Pick a car. <laughs> this is so easy. Well, what's up with this? Oh, well, this is the lobby. See how there are all these people hanging out? We have Thrasher, Roadhog, there's Oil Slick. Oh, cool. <laughs> what's so cool, Dorkmaster? Dude, they can hear me, and I can hear them. That's the coolest thing about Xbox Live, the voice. Grasshopper's got his Xbox communicator, and so does Roadhog and Oil Slick. And anyone else who's playing can use one, too. Whoa. Did you hear that guy oil slick? He sounds like a good racer. That's another thing that rocks about voice. Voice masking. There's this thing called voice masking. You can change your voice to fit any game or mood. What do you think about that? I've got to get this at my house. How do you do it? It's all about broadband, my man. you got to have a high-speed internet service. Like DSL or cable? Exactly. You're learning much, Grasshopper. So, these people, they can hear me in real time. We can hear you, fool. Yeah, how about shutting up and starting the race? All right, let's go! You stink, Dark Master. My grandma drives faster than you. You're mine, Oil Slick. We are gonna so beat you! That dude's a jerk. I heard that. You are so going down. Grass, press the mute button. No, that mutes everybody. I got a better idea. Let's mute that oil spew instead. Hey, Derek, can you tell your audience what I'm going to do? What Oil Slick doesn't know is that we're using the handy player mute button, available only on Xbox Live, to shut him up. You guys are so pathetic. You chaff my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that feature. And that's the race. Check out the results screen. It shows everyone's standings in the race. Hey, Roadhog's cool and a worthy opponent. Let's add him to our friends list. Well, how do I do it? Oh, the friends list is a really cool way to uh, keep track of the people we'd like to play against. Check this out. I can invite him while he's playing another game. All right, now watch as I send him a game invite. There it is. He checks out his friends list, see who's sending him a friendly challenge. Sweet. Invite from Dark Loser. <laughs> it's like candy from a baby. And he happily accepts an invite from one of his good buddies. Now all he needs to do is swap out his game disc and we'll be ready to roll. Are you ladies ready to roll? Ready when you are. Sayonara, guys. I've been waiting for you at the finish line. I can just inch around. And yeah! <laughs> Woo! Losers! I win! <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. Nice, nice take. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Check this out. Number one, national leaderboard, baby. Yeah! <laughs> Woo! Hey, whoa, guys, where are you going? Come on. I'm, I, you saw that, right? Number one, baby! Yeah! Welcome back to the third annual Game of the Year celebration. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Game of the Year. Every year, I compile the 10 best games that I've played. But of course, there's only one king at the top. The other nine are just um, 
exaggerated honorable mentions. So, all right, let's fucking do this. Game of the year, 2022. Take it away, Secret Levels. to the next thing goobs what was your game of the year uh so it was hard for me to pick if i had to pick one and like it'd probably be cult of the lamb i put more time into that this year again i don't play much of the new games i i get sucked into a roguelike that's pretty much all i play (laughs) and uh oh fucking then there's vampire survivors as well shit (laughs) (laughs) you played a couple of new games yeah yeah but they're all roguelikes just fucking pump them right into me you make them i'll play them uh, what about yourself toby what would you think was your game of the year well between uh god of war ragnarok and uh evil dead i had a really great time with evil dead um it me and the kid we played a bunch of it when when it first came out we slowed down a little bit uh just because people are actually getting good now <laughs> but uh <laughs> i really like that and i like the uh the gameplay of it i like how it's uh another 4v1 kind of game and uh it's a lot of fun a lot of stuff you can do on it a lot of different characters you can try out so uh, if you like it seems to be the new phase of gaming all these 4v1 things there's ghostbusters coming out there's that uh, leather face yep the Texas chainsaw massacre i'm sure there's fucking 15 more coming yeah so uh I'd, i'd have to say i'd have to say it's a real close time because with with uh, Evil Dead, I could play it with my kid. Uh, God of War, I could just relax and play it by myself and play at my leisure. So one of those two, flip a coin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same with me. Be uh, Shredder's Revenge and or Cult of Lamb. terrible thing these nine games are all number twos uh in comparison to that number one but at number 10 it's Mega Man 5 and there's not a lot to say about Mega Man 5 no, it's it's pretty much overlooked uh, because it is just a product of uh, a continuous, unrelenting cash grab from Capcom. Uh, but at the end of the day, like just on its own, it's an incredibly enjoyable Mega Man game. It looks phenomenal, as you would uh, expect, uh, especially for an NES game. Uh, it has a few quality of life improvements that the other games didn't have. Uh, it introduces beat was incredibly overpowered and and lends a little more flavor uh, to the exploration uh, that the other games just didn't really have before it. I mean, overall, it is one of the easiest NES Mega Mans out there. And when I think back on it, you know, I played a ton of Mega Man games this year, which 
some I had to actually disqualify from this list. But of the three that I could put on here, this was easily the best of them. Uh, so it's Mega Man 5. <laughs> Go play Mega Man 5. We have no reason not to. So we're here to present our game of the year winners in our own minds. Our personal game of the year games. Yeah. Ginger, I'll go first. Okay. So runner up game of the year. There was an Atomicrops expansion that came to console this year. Mm-hmm. That was a runner up. Mm-hmm. But for my game of the year personally, I think I'm going to pick Marvel Snap. <laughs> it hasn't been out very long. It's a mobile and PC card game where you play against other people. Mm-hmm. It's from the people who made Hearthstone, which I personally never played. And you play against somebody in quick three to five minute matches. It's a free to play mobile game. And surprisingly, that's my game of the year. It is, but you have been glued to your phone since you've downloaded that game, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> well, you get lots of Xbox time while I'm playing Marvel Snap. <laughs> I'm not complaining because my game of the year comes from the Xbox. Mine is going to be Power Wash Simulator. The gratification of cleaning items is so nice. The only thing that is like not like reasonable is being so close to certain objects and not burning a hole in them like real power washing can do. Well, that just makes the game more relaxing. Oh yeah, it does. Like you don't have to worry about damaging anything. You can clean some pretty intricate stuff. I just really enjoyed it. It was very satisfying. Number nine, I have Tunic. Are you as confused as I am? (laughs) How can it both be my most disappointing game? and also be on my game of the year list. So I said before, you know, the first six or seven hours to this game was exactly what I wanted from it. I had such high expectations for Tunic and when I finally got a hold of it, started playing it, it not only met those expectations, but it actually surpassed them. The homage it pays to Zelda is wonderful, but those comparisons, it doesn't, it doesn't, the game doesn't live or die by that comparison, right? It really is doing its own thing. The exploration is a masterclass in level design and, and puzzle design. A lot of the exploration in this game hinges on solving puzzles, with the main puzzle being a manual that you have to put together and decipher by yourself. So the puzzles lead to more puzzles within puzzles while you're solving those puzzles. It's literally that exhibit meme 
from like 2009. And the whole manual thing, I mean, it's fucking genius. I've never really seen a game do something like this before. I mean, maybe like in weird comparison, probably maybe in Oberdin, when you have to fill in your journal with all the clues that you find and, and stuff like that. Uh, but this is just a little like different from that. And not only that, but the way the manual is illustrated and the art direction, just how it's put together really <laughs> hits the nostalgia nerve hard. The minute to minute combat, I can take or leave. Uh, there's really nothing unique about the combat at all. It's more or less just something uh, similar to, uh, again, a game that came out last year, Death's Door, but with some obvious power-ups that are just kind of unique to this game. The game, you know, it just does not stick the landing for me. It never makes good on the promises it sets up, and uh, it doesn't pay off. Uh, there's just... So, okay, so I'm going to... I'm going to get into it. <laughs> I'm going to spoil part of the game. But before I get into that, I mean, it's it's my number nine. I enjoyed a majority of this game, and it's definitely worth checking out. The issues I had with it in those final hours might be unique to me. I, you know, I knew a couple other people that were playing it. I talked to several people about it, and a lot of them actually felt the same way I did. Um yeah, mileage may vary, you know, uh, check it out, especially if you have Game Pass, it's on Game Pass. So with that said, <clears throat> we are about to pass the event horizon. There is no coming back from the void of spoilers here. So just skip ahead through this part until you hear music. At some point, there's a switch that's flipped on the world of Tunic. It's kind of similar to the Dark World and Link to the Past, except your character loses all the progression that you made. Meaning that if you're anything like me, and you're trying to solve the puzzles, explore every nook and cranny of the world, uh, to milk, you know, just as much progress as you can, and make yourself stronger and prepare yourself for the endgame, it's completely ripped from you. And it is something that you cannot opt out of. You have to have it taken away, and it's horseshit. The game itself isn't soul-crushingly difficult, uh, but it is hard if, if you're not careful. So most of the game, you really are kind of trying to su just survive as you try to untangle the web of puzzles that the game has laid out before you. And all the time, and if you're doing all of that all that time spent just ends up being wasted. How, had I known it was going, this was going to happen in the end game, I would have just tried to mainline the fucking game and done all the stuff that the game is constantly dangling in front of you uh, much later, like after this. It, but that's, that's the thing though. Like the game is actively promoting solving all of these mysteries. So you probably will try to just do all of them and it's all just drip fed to you right so but then no reason at all it just basically slaps you in the face for doing any of it just so that it give you a dungeon and a mini boss rush that is just 
difficult because you are just just as weak as you were when you were starting the game. Games are supposed to make you feel empowered if you put in the work. You're supposed to have this, uh, you know, this illusion of, of progress. You made progress throughout the game the further you get in. But this is the opposite. This is just fucking bad game design. Now, you can get all your stuff back once you're done with the this mandatory part of the game, but it isn't just handed. It's not just handed back to you. You, no, you, you have to go back out and explore. You have to solve more puzzles, and then you can have it back. Now, doing all that stuff, it, it's more streamlined, and, and you get it all back at once, but at that point in the game, I just... You know, I, I felt like I was like the game was wrapping up. I knew I was kind of near the end. And after having spent so much time doing a lot of what the game had to offer, having to once again find all that shit I spent the first five or six hours doing was not something I thought was engaging at all. It sucked all the air out of the game. And fighting the final boss and, and seeing the ending, I just... I didn't care. The last few hours of Tunic are awful. And again, hey, it just, uh, it's really disappointing. So, you know, if you are in the spoiler section here, maybe just don't do what the game wants you to do and just mainline the fucking thing. It will be a lot less punishing in the end. talk about game of the year hell yeah no what is the game of year or do you want the real ones you should go first (laughs) kind of build all the suspense to mine you know you know i was looking back at the games i actually played a bunch of games this year i think having a podcast has made it so (laughs) i play a lot more games to completion or at least mostly to completion but i was thinking about it and it's a tough choice and this game didn't come out in 2022 but there was some DLC that dropped in early 2022, and the game is Dead Cells. Ah, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's my game of the year, dude. Sure, uh, that's right up there with. I was going back and forth. I was like, do I go Red Dead Redemption Two? Great ass game as well. And there could be an argument made for that, <laughs> considering Just it's one of the best games though. of all time. Just fishing, but, though, dude. I know. Just right? the fishing of Red Dead Two. That's that's or Simulator. <laughs> but Force no man, man i'm going simulator. i'm going dead cells dead cells is my my game of the year it's a game that uh, i really really enjoyed when we were playing it back whenever that was february maybe and it's a game that i pick up from time to time still like actually more often than that even like it's a game it's one of those games that i always go back to uh like if i'm just sitting there and not really sure what i want to play i love the platforming in it i love the action the combat dude it's just a really well done game so how about you man what are you going with game of the year 2022 the only game that I'm playing at three in the morning every day is I feed my children. <laughs> Slay the Spire, what's up? Uh, I had played it a lot last year. I liked it a lot, and then I dropped it because I got sick of it. And then my wife and I had babies unexpectedly. Um, soon, I mean, the babies were well, yeah. Well, <laughs> she was pregnant. We knew that we knew they were coming. <laughs> But they came much earlier than anticipated, so we spent oh, a lot word. of time traveling back and forth to the NICU, and all you can really do is hold a baby 
in the NICU, some uh, some skin to skin, some kangaroo care for for some parents out there. And yeah, and what game is better when you're just chilling for an hour or two with a baby on you than Slay the Spire? You can pause it at any time, and it's is as deep and as shallow as you want it to be. Whenever I'm feeding a baby at 11 at night, then two in the morning, then five in the morning, you gotta hold them up for a little while or else they burp. But I mean, Slay the Spire's there for you, so like. You want to tell the people how many hours you had in on that shit? Nintendo told me how many hours (laughs) with their... It it was a lot. (laughs) What you had, bro? What you had? Official statistics were were near the 90 to 100 hour mark. And like, granted, that's like, that's like since they were born September 6th. You were more still 100. Total, total. I'm like almost 200. Last last year, I gave it a good hefty (laughs) chunk. But like since September of this year, when they were born, it's been like 90 years. Like I didn't pick it up really much until September. And I've been a lot. It's been a lot of hours. It's been right on. It's dope. It's dope. I fully recommend. Great game. feel like I spent a little too much time on Tunic, so let's go into my number eight, and that's Dead Space. Dead Space is a game I got when it launched, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Survival horror is my jam, and while the rest of the industry was veering off into like a more action-oriented horror type of style, um, EA, EA, of all people, put out Dead Space, which was a a true-to-form survival horror game with a very interesting setting. You're trapped on a spaceship overrun by mutants that are basically part of a they're part of a cult and then you also have to find out like this mystery of what happened to your girlfriend the limb cutting mechanics uh, was also a very fresh idea and I think that really still holds up made some very made for some very uh, creative enemy designs as well the jump scares still work very well and also very well placed uh, and the of course the the um HUD, the absolutely genius HUD design, and that there is no HUD at all, uh, makes the game so much more immersive. This game is just as good as the days it, it came out, and honestly, playing through it again kind of made me second guess a remake, but um, Dead Space is way more deserving of a remake than some other games out there. It's Chris and Shane again, and we're going to give you our selections for game of the year. I think I'm going to kick this one off. I'm selecting East Origins, which is a game I played towards the beginning of the year. It kicked off my little obsession with the East series that I've been playing all throughout 2022. Just a fast action game. Uh, Grinding is fun. 
and just leveling up. It's a great time. It's not there's not loot to pick up or anything like that. You can find things by exploring, but it's just it's a really nice hack and slash game with three different branching storylines. That is it's even like amplified about how good it is if you played the original East one and two games or maybe the remakes like Shane did. But uh, Shane, what's your pick for game of the year? Well, I have no idea what order he's going to put these in, so I don't want to spoil anything for something else, so I won't say that. But uh, my my pick uh, is not Elden Ring, which I feel like I need to get out of the way because that probably feels like the obvious choice. Uh, no, no, it is Vampire Survivors. Um, you know, I think we played a lot of good games in, in 2022. I would have almost, I, I want to give an honorable mention to Lost in Vivo, by the way. It's basically the next Silent Hill game unofficially, and I actually kind of really love it. So, um, I think it deserves a shout out, but no, Vampire Survivors is just, man, it's a lot of fun. It's, um, it's one of those kind of just turn your brain off and just blow stuff up and, and watch the pretty colors kind of games. And, uh, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we need that. I know I do. And, uh, it's, it's kind of like been my Zen game for the better part of this year. And, uh, for that, it takes my number one spot. If I had a theme for this year, based on the type of games I was really getting into, this would be the uh, JRPGs of the early 90s year. <laughs> I went back, played a lot of stuff I've been wanting to get into, and one of those games, my number seven, is Lunar, colon, Silver Star Story. This is, um, I should mention, this is not the original Sega CD game. I played the PS1 remake, which provides an overhaul on the graphics, audio, and localization. And just going off of those aspects alone, uh, this game is gorgeous. I, I went into the game completely blind, honestly, and, and the cutscenes in this game were not only a huge surprise, but just... I was just admiring how immaculately well drawn out this old, these old school anime cutscenes are. It really made me miss when anime was hand drawn and, and this stuff just really pulled me into the world more than when something like Final Fantasy VII, uh, which went for the more like realistic approach to their FMV sequences, which of course have not aged very well in comparison to something like this that is that is hand drawn but why lunar you know what makes this game so special um not a lot really uh it is just kind of your atypical jrpg from 1996 the localization is a little weird at times and and the characters are just your basic archetypes that you would expect uh but there's just so much character interaction 
that the characters just kind of grow on you eventually, no matter, you know, how outdated the dialogue can be. I already talked about Nal earlier, who is truly, truly the best boy of 2022. And uh, he's just a outright pleasure to talk to when whenever there's dialogue with him. He's super supportive and, again, goes through uh, an arc that, in hindsight, is a bit obvious, but uh, it wasn't anything that I that I had expected. Um, the, the worst thing about Lunar is that it is just iterative. But I haven't been going back to these old JRPGs to play something that's special or, or unique. If that happens, then it happens. Um, these are just games that I wanted to play uh, that I hadn't played before while having it seem uh, familiar, like being wrapped in a warm blanket, right? So I was looking for a particular era, you know, one that I grew up with, and that's exactly what I got with Lunar. I loved every second of it. Once again, main quest listeners, it is Josh from the Still Loading Podcast back again to talk about my game of the year, the my favorite game that I played this year. And uh, uh, Keith's parameters was that it didn't have to be a game that came out this year. And that's good because the only game that I played that actually came out this year was Kirby and the Forgotten Land. Wonderful game, but definitely not uh, my game of the year. It's funny. I actually... My game of the year is a game that I played before, but I haven't experienced the game in over 15 years. My game of the year was Final Fantasy IX. I came back 15 plus years later. I came back and replayed the full game in preparation for my own episode. And I got to tell you, that game holds up better than it has any right to. The random battles and the the battle system might be a little bit dated by today's standards, but the writing and the the storytelling, the writing and the world building in that game is some of the best I've ever experienced. My game of the year, hands down, is Final Fantasy IX. It was a wonderful experience to replay the game. If you have not played this game before and you like RPGs, I highly recommend it. If you've never played an RPG before, This is actually a fairly easy one to get into. I think the world building is exceptional and the storyline is really well told. The characters are really fucking good. So if you have not tried this game out, I highly recommend it. So that is my game. That is my game. My 20. Oh, my God. My game of the year. My 2022 game of the year is a game that's over 20 years old. Final Fantasy nine. Number six, it is the best retro game that came out in 2017. (sighs) Cuphead. 
after I got robbed at the Retro Olympics, I thought to myself, I sure have had Cuphead on the back burner for a while. I should probably get to that. And I did. And it was the most frustrating time I've had with a video game in my entire fucking life. But at the same time, I was delighted every step of the way. Was it frustrating because the game is unfair? No, I'm, I'm just very bad at it. I suck at these type of games, especially the shmup sections. Um, the most interesting part is talking to other people about this game and finding out which parts people had trouble with and vice versa, because everybody always seems to get stuck on one part more than others do, if that makes any sense. On top of that, the DLC for the game was released this year, giving you even more stages to shake your controller at, and a brand new character named Miss Chalice, who actually just completely breaks the fucking game. She has, uh, she has so much more movement uh, than Cuphead and Mugman, and once I feel like once you start to play as Miss Chalice, it's kind of hard to go back to the original characters because she she has so much more maneuverability than than they do. I already talked about the graphics of the game earlier. They're absolutely astounding. Some would even say that it is the uh, freshest game of the year. <laughs> but also, you know, the soundtrack is amazing as well. It it it's not anything that I particularly like. But it nails that 1930s aesthetics that they are going for. And each boss uh, in itself are, is truly unique in how you approach them. And their animations also just second to none. Um, I can definitely see how this game can put some people off. But give it a shot. I think you would be surprised at how well this game is at teaching you how to play it. Y you could surprise yourself. Uh, if I can beat it, you can beat it too. from deleted saves and my 2022 game of the year is none other than Elden Ring yeah I know a bunch of folks in the game sphere probably said the same thing but they're not me Elden Ring is the final product of the long lineage of the demons slash dark souls Sekiro and Bloodborne interlaced franchises and by now everyone and their second cousin knows how the formulas of those games work, even if they can't be bothered to look in their general direction. Elden Ring is either a sage collection of the best those games had to offer, or perhaps one of the longest cons in video game history. Either way, this game did deliver on those promises. What promises, you ask? The promises of escalation, a perfection of tested formulas. Elden Ring verges on the precipice of almost too much to do within the confines of its open world. And let's stop kidding ourselves. No game can possibly be truly open world within the limiting framework of its disguised skyboxes and binary code. It's a phrase we really should drop. 
But for what it does, and for its time, it does give a limitless dark fantasy feel. Of a world hinging on ruin, it just depends on which way off the cliff you want to push it. Yes, there were a few other industry titans Elden Ring faced off with this year, but since I didn't play them, why should I give a shit about them? Go play Elden Ring. You'll have a great time with it. Or maybe you won't. But I know I certainly did. And that's what matters. getting into it now the heat is turning up the top five games and it kicks off with spider-man colon miles morales First off, I just want to say I was incredibly surprised how much I loved Insomniac Spider-Man. I'm not a huge comic book guy. I don't care for the MCU that much. But I usually will go out of my way to see a Spider-Man movie. Or in this case, play a Spider-Man game. Uh, I grew up with Spider-Man. I watched the cartoons in the 90s, uh, you know, every Saturday morning. I, I would call myself a webhead, or whatever you want to call that. Um, that first game was great. It was really, really good. Uh, it was a little too long for my taste, and the story was basic. Like, it's the equivalent of like, a, you know, do we really need to see Bruce Wayne's parents get killed again? No. Like, so, I mean, you don't see Uncle Ben die. Uh, but it really is just more or less that coming of age story Peter Parker goes through early on in his uh, Spider-Man career. But Miles Morales, I mean, so at first glance, it seems like it's just kind of a reskin of that first game. But mechanically, it is different. Miles has different powers from Peter Parker that make combat more interesting, in my opinion. The combos you can pull off are really fun. And when you add in those Venom powers, uh, it really just becomes like this eye candy spectacle. Uh-oh. Connection problems? Hello? Are we still recording? Sorry, just uh, <laughs> technical issues at the main quest uh, celebration here. <laughs> uh, I, I loved being stealthy in the, in the first Spider-Man game. But Miles Morales is even better because Miles can turn invisible. So, yeah, those stealth sections are a lot better. Uh, it, there just isn't as much checklisting in this game as the first, and by that I mean uh, you're not just going icon to icon on the map doing missions. Uh, there's a lot of There's a lot of fluff that is taken out of this game and it makes it a much breezier, shorter game than the first one. 
And, you know, I mentioned that first story being basic, and I love the story here more now. Is that because I'm more familiar with the Peter Parker Spider-Man? Probably, yeah. Uh, I don't know a lot about Miles Morales, aside from the uh, Spider-Verse movie that came out a couple years ago. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this was exciting to me. This was exciting to find out what was going to happen next. It kept me playing. And just, you know, just like the first game, I think it just has some top tier writing. It's it's really good. And the other stuff that I also think is very good that carries over from that first game are the unlockables. Um, not Eric's podcast. Oh, <laughs> just the it's just the awesome looking suits that buff different stats and abilities. And overall, it just it feels great moving around the city of Spider-Man uh, insomniac and nails what it must feel like swinging from skyscraper to skyscraper or just running up an apartment complex. There's not a moment where I wasn't having fun with this game or just straight up binging it to see what was going to happen next. about uh do you want to go first what's your favorite game that you played this year what is your game of the year benjamin i'm gonna be honest rick it was inscription hands down for me yeah i, I kind of figured that would be your pick You're, you love that game it's replayability with the addition of casey's mod and also realizing how frustrated i was with certain points in the game and recognizing that that was part of the world and the journey that Mr. Mullins was creating. It was fun. It was, it's creative as you put it. It's a game that just is begging to be broken. Rick, what's your favorite game you played this year? You know, to be honest, this year for me was a big rediscovery of how much I liked retro gaming and playing retro games, uh, both on the Steam Deck and other handhelds. So I'm going to give my favorite game that I played this year to Xenosaga Episode 1 on the ps2 it's a ps2 jrpg that you know it, it's got its flaws it's not a perfect game but i am a mark for every single thing that writing team tries to do there is jungian psychology there's freudian psychology there's religious illusions and references it's all there and the world building and lore is just fantastic love it great game This might surprise people that this isn't my number one. But Strangers of Paradise colon Final Fantasy Origins is my number four. I'm asking you, personally, personally, I'm asking you, you, yes, you, listener, the fuck is stopping you from playing this game? 
Like, why did, why did you not play this game? Like, you hate fun? Do you hate fun? Because the way you're acting right now, it fucking seems like you hate having fun. Fun hater. <laughs> Is the dialogue corny? Yes. Are the characters generic? Yes. Is this really a Final Fantasy game? Yes. <laughs> it's... It is entirely a remake of that first game for like the first few hours. But because Nomura has to be Nomura, things shift and there's a time travel component, which isn't actually really a spoiler. But because of that aspect of the story, yeah, it goes places. Uh, wow, it, it fucking goes places. And who knows what ripples uh, this has across anything Nomura touches now, whether it be from an another Final Fantasy game or a Kingdom Hearts thing. Uh, you know, I, I finished this game and I grabbed my phone and I was like, I need to talk to Eric Guess. <laughs> Get Eric Guess on the phone. I need an explanation. <laughs> Story aside, the, the game and the writing does seem to be very tongue-in-cheek. It does seem like it's kind of poking fun at itself at some times. It's aware of what it's doing. And because the characters are so generic, it just makes it all the more hilarious. Does Jack Garland punch Tiamat in the nuts to tell it to stop being a little bitch? Yeah. <laughs> and it's fucking great. I love a game that can just be stupid for the sake of being stupid. And if that's a problem, hey, I think maybe you're the problem. <laughs> Video games do not need to be serious. But what is serious, right, is just how seriously fun this game is to play. It takes a bit of the battle system from Final Fantasy VII Remake it removes that ATB aspect and focuses more on the action. And Strangers of Paradise is co-op. Uh, but uh, since I, I was basically the only person that bought this game, uh, so I had nobody to play with. Uh, so with that, I mean, your AI party members are pretty much useless. But I could see that being a pain in the ass for some people. But need not worry. If this game is too hard, you can bump it down to easy. Still too hard? Bump it down to very easy. Is that still too hard for you? Are you still dying a lot? Do your fingertips hurt? Bump that bitch down one more time and just shred enemies in one hit. Yeah. And the job system. My god. God, ugh. There's so much customization in this game. And I'm just not, e that's not even including the weapons and the equipment. There's around 30 jobs in this game that you can choose from. And each character gets two, two to mess around with at any given time, which really breaks open how creative that you, you can get. They're not all available at the jump. Some jobs you have to completely master to unlock the uh, advanced and uh, master job classes. So, like, if you want to be a knight, you have to first master the swordsman job, 
And if you want the Dark Knight or the Void Knight jobs, you have to master Knight and the corresponding mage classes as well, whatever those might be. And the way the classes and magic are utilized in battle is second to none. It's so smooth. I'm telling you, the battles in this game are so much fun to engage with. And each enemy has a unique finisher that you can use on them, which are just, they're so over the top. They're so satisfying every time you pull them off. It's, it's great. This game is so much fun. I could keep going on about this. I, I did an entire episode on this with uh, Philip and Nave over at Gaming Together Podcast, and we, all three of us, just gushed about this game for like two hours. It's so good. It's a crime. Square is probably just going to dump this game and not put out any DLC for it. As for the best game of the year, I'm only judging games that I've bought and played, so no Elden Ring, no God of War. I'm like a dementia patient looking into a mirror going, I don't even know who you are. So it really just boils down to two games that really stand out and raise the bar for what you can do, and that runner-up was Stray. It was a nice, fun game playing a cat, and I'm not even a cat person. That's how much I enjoyed it. But for my personal game of the year, it has to go to the one game that shows that after 25 years of almost nearly yearly releases, you can strike gold eight miles deep. I'm talking about Pokemon Legends Arceus. It's the true definition of a game changer. It switches up so many mechanics that it's legit a breath of fresh air, especially with it coming out just after the disastrous release of Shining Diamond and Shimmering Pearl just four months ago. Those remakes were a drag in the worst ways possible. And to have Legends Arceus come out and be like, hey, here's a bold new direction and I'm here for it. Even playing Pokemon Violet recently only makes Legends Arceus shine brighter in comparison. not going to spend a lot of time talking about my number three pick because I've already talked a lot about Resident Evil 7. Anything I say here is just going to be an echo of what I said on the last Resident Evil uh, series episode I put out on top of its very own episode uh, I put out back in October. As much as I love the first few games and, and the remakes of those games, the, the move into first person just makes these games so much more immersive. That's what I look for in a horror game, right? Immersion. The 
RE engine is absolutely amazing at what kind of assets and mechanics it can conjure up. This was the first game to use that engine, and it is really just a masterclass in how to utilize a proprietary engine uh, to your benefit. But this is old school Resident Evil, you know, brought up to modern standards, and more importantly, it's so scary. Tasteful jump scares with the anxiety and claustrophobia some of the environments give you mixed with that paranoid feeling that something is following you. And then you add in the sound design of the game. It's just, it's overwhelmingly creepy. As far as the story goes, you know, I'm, I know I'm somewhat of an outlier since I am now completely uh, invested uh, and immersed in the dumb overarching lore of the series, but this game turned that story on its face. Honestly, the, the game both works, you know, as its own isolated story while also carrying the lore further and into parts unknown. It, it truly is unique in that way. It's truly one of the best, most original Resident Evil games out there and uh, easily one of my favorites in the series. to present my personal pick for game of the year. I awarded this to none other than Xenoblade Chronicles 3. XC3 tells an incredible story of life, love, and loss, and it's such an incredible journey that, again, kind of like Vampire Survivors, definitely surprised me this year. But for its narrative reasons alone, it really struck a chord with me, and that was enough to catapult that game into my game of the year. Back to you, Keith. here at my number two game of the year it is a game i actually covered on the show there's not a lot of games i get to cover on the show that are this remarkable or even influential to who i am and what i what i enjoy uh, when it comes to video games it's the legend of zelda colon link's awakening Again, I, I did an entire episode on this game a few months back, so I don't want to talk about it too much here. This game uh, was an absolute delight to come back to after all these years. As far as the Zelda series goes, it's always in my top five, uh, though it isn't a game that I re revisit very much, and, and truth be told, I might not come back to that often now that the remake exists. Uh, but this game still holds up 30 years later. It was one of those games that when it came time to uh, 
talk about it on the show, I wasn't sure how much I would be able to separate my nostalgia for it. I, I think I did all right, but I suppose that ultimately would be up to, to you guys, the, the listener, to decide if, if I managed that well enough. And um, I, I was even more concerned about what Ben and Jared would think about it uh, because I, I really look up to what those guys uh, do and, and, and how they break down and consume games that they talk about on their show. Uh, but, you know, it turned out that we all kind of pretty much landed on the same opinions, but nostalgia is a motherfucker. You know, I always say it and, uh, yeah, I absolutely love this game. I love how it bucks the quote unquote, save princess Zelda trope of the series, which I guess up to that point really hadn't been a huge trend because there were only three games in the series up to that point. But, you know, you just look at it now, like who knew the, how novel this story for this game would be 30 years later, right? After after having the same story in almost every single game. I I think the gameplay is just as good as the as its uh, Super Nintendo counterpart. And it's just uh, accessible. Uh, you know, visually, it's it's a Game Boy game. I don't know what else do you want from it. But, you know, compared to A Link to the Past... This game doesn't really overstay its welcome, and the characters and the world building is infinitely more interesting, in my opinion, than anything else that came in the series before it. Maybe after it, if if you ask the right person, which would probably be me. If you ask me, this game is much better than some Zelda games that we would uh, get later on. You know the one. So... Yeah, go listen to that episode. All right, thanks, Keith. And thank you again for letting me, Brian from Listoff, give my Game of the Year this year, 2022. So without further ado, my Game of the Year is Marvel Snap. It might be surprising to some, but this was the game that I played the most this year. It definitely surprised me. It's probably going to surprise Ryan, but he doesn't know yet, so he's finding out just as you are now. I love this game. I spent a lot of time with it, and I love all the art in it. I think that's a big part of my enjoyment of it. It really matches a lot of the different styles that these characters in the Marvel Universe have been portrayed, and it's just such a, a fun card game. I'm a sucker for collectible card games, and this is one of the best. So my game of the year 2022 is Marvel Snap. So my game of the year for 2022 is Marvel Snap. That's right. It's Marvel Snap. It's not Elden Ring. It's not God of War Ragnarok. It's not any of those. I played those games and I enjoyed them. 
but the game that took up the most of my time and continues to keep me engaged and continues to let me make me feel like I want to play it, it's Marvel Snap. I absolutely love this game. There's so much depth to it. I love deck builders. Can't wait to see what it has ahead for 2023. This is it. The moment we've all been waiting for. The Main Quest Podcast Game of the Year goes to Dragon Quest V colon Hand of the Heavenly Bride. I've talked about in previous episodes how every so often a game comes along that I know I will remember forever. One that carves a place in my mind and when I think about it, I'll know exactly uh, when and where I played it. Uh, The things that were happening in my life at the time. I'll be able to recall what fucking tunes I was playing way too loud in my car. That probably annoyed the shit out of people. There have been a few of those games in the past couple of years. I wish there were more of them, but, you know, I feel like the older I get, the less and less those type of games come along. Dragon Quest V is one of those. And again, it's a game that wasn't even on my radar for this year. It was a game I wasn't really asked to play for that other podcast that I, that I mentioned. They didn't ask me to play it, but I took it upon myself to play it anyway so that I didn't look like an asshole on somebody else's show. And admittedly, the game starts out a little slow. I think what initially was drawing me in was Koichi Shugiyama's soundtrack and the the pixel art which I should mention I am talking about the Super Famicom fan translation here this game wasn't released in America until the PS2 came out and then it later got a Nintendo DS port which is selling for more than most people's mortgages right now (laughs) so uh, yet even though what I played was a fan translation it is much closer to the actual Japanese localization than the ones that were professionally done for the PS2 and the DS. So it's funny how that works out, right? Anyway, even by 1992 standards, the pixel art, it's not, it's not great. It's good. Uh, you know, the Super Famicom was two years old at this point, right? It, it's technically the first in the series for the new hardware. There's just something incredibly charming I find about these slightly outdated sprites only only slightly outdated i i mean with all the power 
and all the colors of the Super Famicom could produce, it, it just makes the artwork seem unique in my opinion. It's like, it's almost like an upresed NES game, if any of that made sense. It's not like there aren't any of those flourishes of what the Super Famicom could actually do. Like you do see that in a couple instances, like on the world map or during spells and uh, with a lot of subtle UI overlays during battles, which the NES, they couldn't do, which, you know, it sounds quaint, like it really does. But there's just something that I really love about all of that. And the, the story more or less begins just like any fantasy JRPG of the time. But as that story unfolds, it definitely starts to take a turn that I didn't I didn't really see coming. It doesn't quite fit the mold of the hero's journey, which so okay, so <laughs> this game is over 30 years old. Uh but if you're if my recommendation of me here talking about it right now gives you an idea of playing it and you should uh, and you don't want to be spoiled then I guess just skip ahead a minute going into spoilers here but the hero of Dragon Quest 5 isn't the main character it's the main character's son and there aren't any weird alien invasions or world ending stakes in the story either uh well I guess the world ending stakes or whatever's kind of like literally like the last hour of the game. Uh, it is a JRPG after all, but all of the tropes JRPGs are known for are bucked here for a story that just revolves around the main character trying to reunite with his family. And you've crossed the border already. So I guess I just don't have to say we're, we're in spoiler country here. You cross that border. There are so many introspective moments when the main character there's a moment where the main character has to go back in time to visit his child self along with his deceased father to try and dissuade them from going down the path that set off the events of the game. In the first few hours of the game, you live those events. And in real life, there's just so many things that happen to us or that happen to family members that are, for whatever reason, ripped from us and in those moments. It had at least me sitting there thinking like, yeah, wouldn't I do whatever I could to change that moment? I would love to go back in time and change some things and just hope for the better. And so when the main character does go back in time and has to struggle with that realization, seeing themselves as a child with their father, and just seeing how innocent they are, not knowing is going to transpire in the next few hours is, uh, yeah, it's, it's touching. And at the beginning of the game, when, when the main character is born, their mother is presumed dead. But towards the end of the game, we find out that she's actually alive. Uh, and, and then you realize that she doesn't actually have a very long time to live. So any type of reunion that you're going to have is just going to be cut short anyway. But between all of these major events, your family grows. The main character has children. The main character gets married. Uh, you actually, we actually get a few choices of who you get to marry, which is kind of neat. But the canon and correct choice 
is to marry your child childhood friend uh, Bianca, who's actually been by your side the entire game since you guys were kids. As many of you guys know, I played a game earlier this year called Dragon's Valor, which almost has an identical plot thread of following this family's bloodline throughout one long adventure. But coincidentally, several months before even playing Dragon Quest V, I just thought how poorly that aspect was executed because you don't get to spend any time with the characters in Dragon's Valor. They're like only short 20-minute vignettes. The characters die, and then the next part of the game starts where you're just the next character in the family tree. And that's pretty much it. There's no real story, no real characterization. You don't live with the characters. And if there is, something happens at the end of every chapter. Or, uh, you know, so much time passes between those chapters that those last characters that you just played as are dead. The story just moves on without, without it ever wondering what happened previously. But in Dragon Quest V, you are with these characters the entire game. You get party members throughout the entire game. You see them grow up. You see them change. You see them interact with each other. It is a video game about family. Dragon Quest games themselves, they are not spectacles. They're incredibly bare bones JRPGs with some prototypical fantasy driven stories. And though this game roots itself in those foundational classical JRPG mechanics, as well as adding the monster catching, you know, that predates Pokemon, all of that stuff combined, it is just nothing short of special. I have been on record stating that not a lot of video game stories resonate with me. Furthermore, I've said a majority of JRPG stories are complete Cthulhu god monster from another dimension time dilation bullshit. They're all fucking stupid. <laughs> But Dragon Quest V dials it in. It reigns in a lot of the nonsense that makes me tune out of a JRPG story. And again, it um, it is a game, it is a story that resonated with me due to the time in my life where there was a lot of stuff happening with my family on a personal level. Some things I wish I could help and, and change and uh, as well as adding people who I love to my own family and all the delighted nervousness that comes with getting to know another family, right? Uh, it's hard to ignore a game that does that, that connects all of those things together that brings those feelings out and, um, just on that surface level, I mean, it's just, it's a breeze to play while also bringing the aesthetics of nostalgia but being a completely fresh experience out of the gate. Yeah, Dragon Quest V is my 2022 game of the year.
that's it. That puts a wrap on yet another year of games. Another year of podcasting. I'm going to stop doing this weird announcer voice now. <laughs> Time to rein it in. I'm fucking over it. I've been recording for like nearly two hours at this point. Um, yeah, I I can't believe that next year it will have been nearly four years of doing this thing. And uh, I can't put this show out without you. I can't put it out with all the support of my friends as well, uh, which, by the way, again, uh, I just kind of would like to thank everyone real quick here who submitted clips for the show tonight. Toby and Goobs from Secret Levels. Phil from Deleted Saves, Alex and Luke from Lo-Fi-Gaming, Brian and Ryan from Listoff, Eric from Unlockables, Josh from Still Loading, Shane and Chris from Retro Hangover, uh, Rick and Ben from Pixel Project Radio, William Ginger from Grand Rapidians Play Video Games, and Chase from the Play Cute Gamecast. Uh, I literally cannot do this annual celebration without you guys. These episodes just would not be worth doing without your input. And you guys are invaluable, invaluable people. You are the temples of the community. You are people that I look up to. And if you are listening to this episode and you do not listen to any of these podcasts, these creators, uh, you should be. So... I also I also want to give a special thanks to Adhesive Wombat for the special theme music for tonight's episode. And, of course, finally, thank you so much for listening. I'm already looking forward to the next year of episodes, the next year of podcasting, the next year of video games, and, of course, doing this whole thing again for you guys to listen to next year. I love you guys. Happy New Year. Take care of yourselves. And always remember, it's okay to like a video game. We'll be right back.